0: Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode, and if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important, sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code Take at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order.
1: Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories. From those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives, here's your host, here's your host. Richmond Weaver. What time is it? Damn, damn.
0: This is episode 150. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Just saying, episode 150 doesn't even seem real, and to be truthful. Not sure I ever would have even imagined that we would have 150 episodes, which also means that we've had 150 guests share not only their story of why they gravitated towards sports and the impact of sports in their lives, but more importantly, they're sharing their time. And then, of course, the same for all of the listeners or investors because you're investing your time to listen. It means a lot. And with episode 150, this guest has been on my list when I first wrote down a list of names of people that I wanted to have on the podcast on an index card back in 2017. And I finally get to put a check next to her name, and that's Sarah Spain. Since joining ESPN in 2010, you'll find Sarah on ESPN Radio with Jason Fitz once again each weeknight on Spain and Fitz. She's an Emmy and Peabody Award winner, a columnist for ESPNW, a Center reporter, and host of That's What She Said podcast, which is a must-listen. And she was a contributor to the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Godz and Highly Questionable and you've probably seen her as a regular on Around the Horn. And now in her beloved city of Chicago, Sarah can add the title of owner to her resume as she was recently part of the new ownership group for the Chicago Red Stars of the National Women's Soccer League. Our conversation with Sarah Spain. Sarah, thank you so much. I know it's been crazy, but you know, within the craziness, I think there is opportunities to find some things that we can all appreciate. And I think it's sports. And I know sports has been a big part of your life, it's been a huge part of my life. And so I wanted to just dive in a little bit more about that unique role in your life in terms of how sports has impacted your life. So, I mean, I want to go back to the to the early days before you were six feet at 12 years old. I mean, I want to go <laughs> even back <laughs> earlier than that. Just yeah. your first memories of sports and kind of that feeling and how you started gravitating towards sports.
1: Mm, I don't know if I would be able to say my very first. I'm one of those people that when someone says they remembered something from when they were two, I'm like, mm, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure there's just like a photo or enough people told you the same story that now you think it's a memory? Um, I, I would never be able to even guess at what my first memory was. But um, sports was a big part of my household in terms of activity. right? So my parents actually aren't into watching sports. They do it a little bit more now because they want to know what I'm talking about for my job or what I'm writing about. And, and after my collegiate basketball, my mom would occasionally like watch the WNBA on TV because she'd see people that I played with and against. And so that was cool for her. But yeah, my parents are not really into sports. It was more that we were always active. We played golf. We played tennis, especially as a family. That was a big thing. Like our, our family vacations during most of my like junior high kind of time and some of high school was going to Hilton Head uh, because it was a place that like all of us could play tennis together at Nick Boletari and whatever else. So, yeah, I mean, the activity part of it has been around Forever, My sister and I have been nonstop active forever, uh, but it wasn't until I got a little bit, not quite 12 and six feet, a couple of years before that. But um, when I started to really play and, and think like, Oh, I'm, I'm good at sports and, you know, racing all the, all the boys after school and, and beating all the boys in junior high and stuff like that, where I was like, Oh, I can do this stuff.
0: Did you realize early on that you were competitive?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a family like, trait. Like, give me an example. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, I mean, a, a perfect example of how it, it doesn't always serve you is my sister and I were helping my mom in the garden at their weekend house in Michigan, turning over dirt and stuff with a pitchfork and we left it on its side and we were off doing something else at that point. My mom said, girls, you never leave a pitchfork on its side. Always stick it in the ground. It's safer. So my sister, and I raced each other to fix it. And I tripped <laughs> and I stepped on the pitchfork, um, uh, immediately <laughs> to the hospital stitches, like, um. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it's a, it's definitely a, a family trait, board games, sporting events, beer pong, you name it.
0: Always competition, right? Yeah. Especially with a sibling. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the age difference between you and your sister?
1: It's not a lot. So it's like, um, I think it's 18 months, but she skipped a year in like kindergarten. So she was two grades older than me and we're both young for our class. So even though it's a little tighter in terms of months, at least we had a buffer year, but yeah, we were both we were both uh, very competitive with each other in school, and and even a little bit later. I think, thankfully, now as adults, we have our own lanes and like we get along great. But yeah, there was <laughs> we were a little too similar, I think, without thinking. We thought we were very different, but a lot of our similarities, I think, is what caused us to sort of be competitive <laughs> and butt heads.
0: <laughs> How often did you guys fight?
1: A lot, um, not like physically. Our, we were passive aggressive. Like you know, someone wanted the remote. And so, would you sit right next to them and dig your fingernails into their hand until they said "uncle"? <laughs> like, you know, we didn't like no no knockdown, drag out, real fights, Just that kind of like very low level aggression. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we didn't fight. Like, we certainly got into our, you know, I hate you, I hate you more. Like, girls, we paid a lot for this vacation. Shut up. <laughs> right, like that. Kind of thing. But um, but it was more just like we weren't close. Like a lot of sisters, like that's their best friend and always is. And sometimes they fight, but like they're super tight. That was, that was never us, And we get along well now, but she's still not someone that I call with like my problems and my innermost feelings, that kind of thing. But I really do think my sister and I, the dynamic was a lot about being competitive as humans and then excelling at similar things, but not necessarily the same so that, that feeling of, you know, I was going to start on the basketball team as a sophomore. She was a senior and was going to be on the bench. So she quit, right. Cause who wants to have their younger sister, you know, but then she was doing tennis really competitively decided to join the track team and got really great at like discus it and chop and other stuff. Like, so we, we had our things that we excelled at. And for whatever reason that did not transform. into I'm happy for you. You're, you know, it was more like, you know, that kind of, um, so I always I, I find it I, I find it kind of like a marvel. My friends who are like best friends with their siblings, I think it's great for that. I know. Super nice. But yeah, yeah.
0: And I have some friends that they talk to their brothers or sisters like almost every day. Yeah. And it, it's amazing. Now, I've got some friends that I do that with. Right. That, you know, it was it was totally different. Now, from the perspective of where you gravitated I mean, was basketball the very first? that was your love. that's mm. what was your first sports love?
1: The first the first, I mean, I loved tennis, but that's again, that's a family thing. We played all the time when my sister I both played USTA. But when I got to the high school level, I also did uh, field hockey in in junior high. And so the thing that did stink about my high school, even though I, I loved it as a place to go, is I've seen people where they're like they were allowed to do multiple sports in one season. They'd be like, I have four varsity letters. And I'm like, how? Like we we're, we weren't allowed to do that. So like I had to pick every time. So, you know, field hockey was the same as tennis. So I picked field hockey. Basketball was always going to be there was no, nothing interrupting that. But then there was, you know, people trying to get me on the soccer team during track season or trying to get me on the volleyball team during field hockey season. So like um, I tried a lot of things in junior high. And so I would say tennis was probably the first because I, I was playing in tournaments when I was, you know, seven but basketball became the sort of obsession because it was coinciding with the nineties, Jordan bulls years. And so if you're in Chicago area, if you're a basketball player and uh, and you love it, then you become consumed. So, um, you know, I, and I, and I loved the aspect of track that was individual, right. Um, there was some, there was some high school drama with my basketball team where we had a different coach every year. And one of the girls, her dad would like pay her to keep up her scoring average. And (laughs) it was just like, it wasn't great. Um, So for track, it was like, you hit a number through a distance, you jumped ever so far. And that was it. And like, no one else got in your way. It was all up to you. And so that, that part of it, I really liked as someone who is competitive (laughs) where it's like, it's on me if I, if I don't do well.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're not relying on anybody else. It's all about your input. Right. So, What was it like then in the 90s in Chicago? Because I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. and I became a Michael Jordan fan when he hit the game-winning shot at North Carolina. Uh, That's how far I go back following him. And then... Just the evolution became a Chicago Bulls fan by default. And I grew up in the Atlanta area, and that was in the era here in the 80s where you had Dominique Wilkins, human highlight film versus Michael Jordan, and obviously with the Celtics and with Bird and the Pistons, the bad boys. But I would love to know just the euphoria in Chicago Mm -hmm. at that time, especially growing up, what that had to be like.
1: Well, I loved The Last Dance in part because it like picked me up and dropped me back into junior high and high school in yes. a way that like, it'd be really tough to do with anything else because that was the thing that I cared about so much. Like I had to watch every single game. I had to buy every Jordan book and every VHS and every, you know, Michael Jordan secret stuff candy that I had to eat before my games and listen to <laughs> be like Mike on my Walkman. Um, I'm aging myself, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was amazing. The one thing I would say is like, I was not immersed in it the way that others were because again, I was young and my parents weren't really into sports. So they would watch cause I would take over the TV, but it wasn't like they were driving me down to grant park to go to the rally. Right. Everything was uh, at a distance. I went to two games. Um, one of which was my 16th birthday present. They fa- managed to get me like third row behind the bulls bench. And I spent the whole time talking and I talked smack to Allen Iverson and <laughs> uh and uh I was actually talking stack to Jerry Stackhouse um i was at no i was talking smack to Allen Iverson and then Jerry Stackhouse um hold on let me make sure i get this right
0: yeah cuz i want to I'm know what you are saying remember this
1: correctly well so what happened was is stackhouse came into the league and said he could beat anyone in one on one including michael jordan and then michael worked him for like 40 something in their first meeting so then at this particular game They were coming out of the halftime of the of the tunnel right past me. And so I was like, Stackhouse, you suck. Like, (laughs) you know, Michael's owning you. He's got like 30 at the half, yada, yada. And Alan Iverson called me a B word and gave me the finger. And then I was like, this is amazing. Is everyone watching? And the people (laughs) like again, I'm 16. I have number 23 written on my face. Um, like I have, I had some of these pictures over here for like, when we were doing this stuff with the last dance and one of them that I pulled out is literally, it's right here. This is me. Okay. With the, with, I've written Michael Jordan, 23 on my face. I've got, the I Jordan six, I've, got, I've got braids and I'm just yelling at, at Jerry Sackhouse. house. Um, so uh, that was like, I think one of only two games. The other one I went to was my best friend's dad took us to one game. Um, so it wasn't like I was there in the building because again, my parents weren't into it, but it was like, the the jordan fever there was this billboard um off the side of the highway and it, it varied it was for a, a like a suit company and it varied who was in it it was sometimes it was jordan and and michael and Ronick and like some of the other big names but when it was uh when it was rodman they literally had to take it down because of the traffic accidents because people would try to slow down to see it so yeah it was just it was like a wild time they like owned the city
0: oh had to be well i know as you mentioned the last dance brought you back to childhood. And same with me. And even the most memorable portion for me was actually at the very end where he's just, you know, it, it, it's the fast pace showing all of his career. And then it comes to the culmination, you know, with Pearl Jam playing and and Michael's yeah. just sitting there looking out the window. And it just, it actually made me really emotional to the point of tears. And my kids mm-hmm. were like, Dad, what what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I I feel like I'm you know 16 again, and right. the sports was such a big part. It, it filled so many voids in my life, uh, just from a dysfunctional background. And Michael Jordan was almost a safe haven. And I hate to sometimes yeah. even put him up on a pedestal like that because uh, that can be you know that dangerous at times. But in all reality, it was. So that was my favorite part, and I just loved the yeah. obviously the whole thing. From your perspective, do you have a moment that you just...
1: Oh, favorite part. That's tough. I will say, like, and it's not necessarily the best part because there were so many really well-done moments throughout, but the first time that they did sort of a montage of highlights um, in the first episode with, um, I think it was LL Cool J might have been the tune, but it was like, obviously I've seen hours and hours and hours of Jordan playing, but it's been a while since I sat down and, and specifically went back for some of the younger stuff. So like that early Jordan swagger, athleticism highlights, plus the music just to me, it was just like, Oh, I can't wait for everybody who doesn't know how amazing he is to watch this. And it was the first episode and we didn't know what to expect. And I was super pumped for it. And then it just hit me and I was just like, this is awesome. <laughs> I can't wait for more of this. Um, so even though some of the storylines were actually interesting to me, because at the age that I was around for them, I was not paying attention to contract negotiations or whether they were freezing out Tony Kukoc. Like I I was reading all the stories. I I did make sure I had all the tribune and sometimes all the stories and like, make sure I caught up with things. But at that age, I didn't really care as much about that stuff as I did about the games. So later on in life to look back and see how dysfunctional so much of it was, was fascinating, but it was those, kind Of highlight reels with the music that really sent me right back to being like 11 or 12 years old and just like being goo goo gaga over everybody.
0: Uh, agreed, I mean, it was amazing the emotional connection you could have just based on imagery and the soundtrack. That or you
1: see, like, an ad. I like, yes, it the, the local station here was running a bunch of old games during the last dance time while everyone was so hot on it, and it was like you just see a billboard. Where there'd be an ad in the middle of like the studio behind Steve Cashel, and you'd be like, "Oh my god!" Like that, I just automatically got brought back because it's not the things that you've still seen in the years since. It's like that specific moment, and it's sort of like that um that deja vu moment of like I've been here before, or like I, you get a feeling instead of just a
0: memory. Of course, and obviously, I, I think just the timing of it, that time you know in the year of 2020 i mean people were right we
1: needed it needed something <laughs> right
0: <laughs> oh now the other question then in terms of the trash talking with jerry stackhouse did you do that when you would play sports just with oh, other, yeah. against other teams yeah. i mean you're are you normally a trash talker
1: i'm a trash talker in all things like darts at the bar <laughs> or like backyard softball or beach ball like Um, but normally with like my friends and people I know. So when I would play sports in high school, I wasn't usually actually talking to the other team. I was an elbow thrower. I was physical. I was, you know, like I was competitive and I was going to win, but I don't think I would like sit and like be across, across the lane from someone and be like, you know, your hair looks stupid (laughs) or like, you know, your mama jokes or anything. Um, But, uh, but yeah, uh, but when it's my, when it's people I know, uh, like friends or otherwise, then absolutely massive trash talk.
0: And now have you ever had an opportunity to actually talk to Jerry Stackhouse and remind him of that whole situation and Iverson calling you the B word?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've not had a chance to talk to Iverson about it, but Jerry Stackhouse, uh, it came up on, I think, highly questionable once. And I told the story, or maybe it was the Dan Lavatar show with Sougat's radio show. And so someone tweeted him about it. And he's like, that didn't happen, Uh, yada, yada. And I was like, I will find you the game. I will find you the year and the game and the photo. And I don't think he ever, like, he either wrote back something like LOL or whatever. But um it's funny because Stackhouse kept walking. And it was Iverson who was the one who responded. So maybe I need to reach out to to ai and see i I doubt he would remember but i remember at the time it was after dennis rodman had fallen on and kicked a photographer and that guy the the photographer made a ton of money so i was like i want this guy to like run in the stands and uh you know take a shot and i'll make a couple mil my my little teenage brain was like i was ready i was like bring it but we went to um, michael jordan's restaurant after that game and i remember we were there, and these people there were like, you guys were on the jumbotron more than the Bulls were because I mean, it's two girls, faces painted, so excited about everything. And I, I've, I've become kind of friends with Bill Wennington ever since. And he was injured that game, and he was on the bench. He just kept turning around and talking to us about stuff from afar. We thought it was like the coolest thing ever. So, um, yeah, we made I made good on my one of two games, and then the other game I went to, we went to we went to Michael Jordan's after, and he was there. And um he was in the back room. They wouldn't let me in, but I talked to his bodyguard. I touched his car keys. I touched his car. I was outside when he was leaving, and we, like, made two little lanes just for him to walk through. And I got to, like, <laughs> Michael! Um, so that was the first time I was in his presence. And so then later, I actually got to meet him a couple times. But, um yeah, like, he turns me into a full-on lunatic, the only person in sports. Like, everybody else, I'm like, that's cool to meet them, but Jordan's, that's it.
0: Yeah, so you would, like, at that time, if he would have come up to you, you would have been crying. Is that how you yeah, would have been? Yeah, I would have
1: been like, well, so I did cry years later when he was at a uh, Dwight Feeney um, Super Bowl party that I was covering the red carpet for in, I think, Indy. And I went inside, and I think someone might have tipped me off that Jordan had gone through the back to the, to the like, VIP. And it was just a dark area that had a velvet rope and he was sitting kind of near the rope and I sauntered over. No one had had seen him come on. No one knew he was there. And I basically was like, listen, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I like, I really need to take a photo with you. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm good. And I was like, I know. And like, I even read like, David Halberstram's playing for keeps. And I'm so sorry about bothering. And I know that like your life's been disrupted. And, but like, if anyone's even met me for like five minutes, your name has probably come up. Cause that's how much he's like, that's so nice of you. But like, I'm like, all right, listen, dude, like I used to live in Lake forest right by you. I actually met you at Gold Coast gym once FFC once you were playing basketball and I signed up too late. So I said, hi. And that was it, but I didn't have a camera with me. So I got, a, he's like, Oh my God, haha, it's funny, but like, I'm good. Meanwhile, the security guy's like kind of looking at me. And then I was like, I was like, all right, seriously, when you got divorced, my mom sent me an email that said, there's still a chance when you lived in like Forest, <laughs> I had this plan where I was going to go to your house and I was going to fake a seizure on Halloween when I was trick or treating. So you'd have to bring me in your house and then call the police or call the ambulance. I'm like I used to go and I would stand on top of my car and try to look over your fence. And he's like, kind of weirded out, but also <laughs> definitely laughing, um, and I think it was the fact that my mom sent me an email about like a, with a headline about his divorce. that was like, you, you got a chance. Um, and so he's like, all right, quick, quick. So he's with Charles Oakley. So he calls Oakley over and Oakley takes the photo and his big fingers in, in it. But and I might even have it over here somewhere, too, with my other photos. But um, oh, yeah. So this one, I happen to have all this stuff sitting here from doing the last dance pre and post game uh, thing. But this is the this is the photo of when he was leaving his restaurant. Look how dark it is. That's just me taking a photo of him. And then this is, uh, this, this. I cropped out Charles Oakley's, that's Charles Oakley's finger right here. Finger. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I kept it together. We took the photo. I kind of look constipated because I'm like freaking out. And then I'm like, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I walked away and my cameraman from, from my company that was like doing the red carpet with me comes over. He's like, do you see him? And I was like, oh, God! I shit, I talked to him, I took him off. Like a lunatic.
0: (laughs) I get it though. It's amazing. It's amazing, and I I had the opportunity of meeting him when I was in high school as well, and got a picture taken with him. It was at the Kenny Rogers Classic Weekend. I don't know if you ever read about that. Yeah, I
1: remember hearing about it. Yeah.
0: Oh, it was absolutely fantastic, and um, I had met an author, David Breskin, who wrote for GQ and did an article on him and so he was able to get a picture but of course the timing where somebody is yelling hey jordan you got to come over here is right when the picture's being taken so he's Aww, looking off he's like looking <laughs> away <laughs> the <laughs> other way and i'm sitting there you know as a yeah. as a 17 year old you know just with a big smile and you didn't know what the picture looked like then. This was, yeah. you had to send oh, the yeah, film You're, waiting. Off,
1: you're crossing right? your fingers. Yeah, Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. But so I guess, you know, just hearing your story and again, knowing how we have that connection like that, just in terms of Jordan was so of a, I don't, I don't want to use the word God necessarily, but yeah. for my world, I mean, he was it, you know, for mm-hmm. a long period of time. Why is it that athletes like that just do that? to us, to do that to fans? Mm.
1: That's a tough one. I mean, I think in the case of athletes and musicians for me, not as much actors or actresses, I think you get a crush on like a really hot guy or gal because in the movies, they they make them perfect. The the, the script that they write and the romantic things they say and the lighting and the everything and where they are, it all just like creates this image. But when it's music or, or sports, they, they exhibit this talent that feels like just inhuman inhuman like it, they're they're doing something that you can't even possibly imagine doing and i think also like with sports it's one of the few things in life where it's a it's a big group of people and it's the ultimate reality show like nobody knows how it's going to end and so it's sort of like i don't know if you ever watched the terrible but addictive shows the bachelor and the bachelorette but they always send the people on dates that involve bungee jumping or climbing the side of a building or like some shared experience that involves extreme emotional feelings, right? They talk about that with fraternity pledging or going to war, right? Like you get in the foxhole with people and you feel bonded to them more than anyone else because you went through this thing together. Well, with sports, it's like the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. In the last three seconds of a game, your team wins a championship or loses and that's it, right? And so I think there's like those deep, deep emotional ties and surprises, and they're linked to this person and they become idyllic in the way that they bring you happiness and they bond you to the other people around you. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I love working in sports. As much as people say stick to sports is like, what other venues are there where there are people from every religion and race and background and political party, they're all rooting for the same outcome and high-fiving each other and, and And so when you when you can organically bring all those people together, you could talk to all those people, and it's maybe one of the few times that they'll listen and so that's why I love to engage in some of the other things that are sports adjacent with those people because they have an opportunity to really pay attention, and maybe normally they check
0: out agreed and i I think the key word what you said is adjacent, and I know some people want to try to separate everything from sports, and I've always been one saying that. You can't. They're all just so yeah. interconnected. It's mm-hmm. not black and white right. where you can just completely separate sports. Right. Well, sports is life. I mean, there's so many metaphors and you people. Can use.
1: Sports is human beings. Yes, that have to deal with all the same things that you do, whether that's <laughs> depression and mental health or racism or anything else. So, like, you can't remove them from that for your own entertainment. If you want that, then again, go go watch a movie that's scripted. Um, and even those actors and actresses are still real people too.
0: Exactly. That's what. And that's my point. Life is intertwined in everything. So there, you can't escape the how things are. You know, interconnected like that. So, yeah. how did you get to Cornell, though? And why Cornell?
1: So I was always really studious and and into school. Um, I was just one of those kids that was involved in everything: band, chorus, field hockey, track, basketball, everything um, constantly running around. And, um, I applied to, I think seven or eight schools, um, mostly Ivy's and then a couple safeties. And, um, I got recruited for some other, I got recruited for all three sports and it was kind of, I wanted to go to the best school and the highest level. I wanted to be a small fish in a big pond instead of the opposite. Um, so I got offered a full ride for basketball to a D three school. I got offered, um, a partial uh, scholarship to, you know, division one, but not a great school. So it was like the, the schools that were interested in me, um, I wanted that balance of you know getting to keep competing, but also doing the best ch- making the best choice for what was happening in the future. my my um my top choice was Dartmouth. I really loved the school when I visited. I just liked the vibe. It was very traditional ivy on the buildings, kind of beautiful campus. And when I went on my recruiting trip, I just enjoyed kind of the hangouts. Um, And Cornell was not my top choice in part because the guy who happened to come speak at my high school was not a great speaker. And it just, he didn't sell it very well. It just didn't, didn't feel the same as Dartmouth. Right. But then I happened to, the only weekend I could do my recruiting trip for Cornell, uh, they flew me out and it was uh, ECACs, which is like the all Eastern conference uh, meet. And so the women were out of town and it was before they had them at the same place. The men were all in. So uh, basically ECAC, IC4, I used to split them up. And so Cornell is just covered in male track athletes from all the, all the different schools. And I had, they like the, the Jordan of the team, this six, six, tall, beautiful, bald, black triple jumper was showing me around campus. And I was like, this place is great. Um, and, you know, I went with like their crew and the pole vaulters, one of the pole vaulters snapped his pole in that meet. And so they were back at their house doing like flaming Dr. Pepper shots as they watched a replay of the pool breaking over and over. And it just seemed like it, it seemed really fun. And I fell in love with the school when I visited. Um, so I was, I was bummed. I didn't end up getting into Dartmouth. But now I'm actually really glad. I mean, I'm sure I would have had a great time. But Cornell is bigger. There's a lot more going on. I didn't drink till I was a junior in college. And I was going to all the frat parties, but I just wasn't drinking. But there were all these, there's 43 frats at Cornell. So there's like costumes and fun events or whatever. And Dartmouth just has like, uh, you know, hanging out in a room and, and drinking together. They didn't have like that big social scene. So it must, it would have been, I think, a lot harder for me early on than it was uh, to, to have this like fun social life outside of, of sports and school and stuff. So, but I, I loved it at Cornell and I still have, there were um, 15 of us that lived in a house together junior and senior year and one summer And we still are great friends. We have a WhatsApp chat. We all got together 12 out of 15 of us uh, two summers ago at one of our friends' houses in the Hamptons and like caught up on life and husbands and kids and everything else. So yeah, it was like a perfect balance of getting all that good sports stuff in and a good education and all that.
0: I love that. Well, and I love that. That's uh, you talk about the WhatsApp. I mean, that's the beauty of technology there of how it can help you stay connected. And obviously the other side of it, but I I do love that.
1: And we're doing Zooms, which like we didn't do before. Like 2020 did give us, like I feel closer to some of my friends that live far away than I did before the pandemic. Cause even though I can't flat and visit them, like we hop on a Zoom and catch up, which we never did before.
0: Agreed. And now, I mean, Zoom has become the Xerox or Kleenex <laughs> right, video exactly. remote connection, right? Yes. So even if you're not yeah. using Zoom.
1: Yes. My apologies to Riverside.fm. Which yes, is Riverside.fm, because <laughs> I really like
0: them because you can record locally. That's, that's what I'd yeah, love. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so going back, though, I'm just curious, the, the whole social life aspect, not drinking until you're a junior in college. Yeah. Uh, And not that's anything wrong with that. It's just, how did you not, you know, until then? And what was the decision? I mean, was there a moment like, all right, I'm gonna start drinking?
1: Um, Well, so my, one of my favorite teachers in junior high was my science teacher, Mr. Kalen. And I remember distinctly that he would talk a lot about, not, not, you know, in a way that was outside of the normal curriculum, but I think he would find ways to like, get it in there, even if it wasn't necessarily a part of what other teachers might've been talking about. But his brother, I believe died uh, in an accident that was caused by a drunk driver. So it was very like um, close to his heart. So he would just talk to us about the dangers of alcohol. And, and I think honestly, for such a little kiss ass, he talked about like killing brain cells and stuff. And like, why would you want to be less smart and do this? And yada yada. so I already had that in my head. Then I get to high school and like I said, I was young for my year. So I was 12 when I started high school, turned 13 early in my freshman year. And I was on varsity field hockey for the state tournament. So I was I was on, you know, JV when I started as a freshman, but they moved me up immediately to varsity for the playoffs for the, to help the varsity team. So I'm all of a sudden 12, hanging out with 18 year olds. <laughs> um, and the field hockey team was like the babes of the school, the popular babes. So at the end of the, season they would have a um they would have like a big slumber party where the whole team would go to someone's house and they'd be in the basement and the the parent would know like all the girls are gonna be drinking this is their and like during that season they would be like all right girls for playoffs like we're not having sex or drinking like just the focus on field hockey and i'm like (laughs) shouldn't be a problem. No one's interested. <laughs> and um, so we get to this like party and ev- and everyone's doing never have I ever. So I got nothing to drink about because I haven't done anything, but like someone's puking in the toilet and somebody else is like, and I was so young and I was so, um, I don't want to say like immature, but as far as that stuff goes, I was sort of like just pretty innocent about all those things. And so seeing that, I was like, that doesn't look that fun to me. Like her face is on the toilet. That's gross. <laughs> Or like, you know what I mean? Or like, she's kind of out of control. And I think it's also like early seedlings of me being kind of a control freak, which I am. I like to be in control of everything, like, and know what what I'm doing and and whatever. So I kind of just decided right around then, I think like, I think I'm going to do that when I'm ready, when I feel like I can do it without worrying about like, getting hurt or injuring myself or whatever. And like I said, I was all state and band, chorus, field hockey, track, all, (laughs) all conference, all region and basketball. Like I like just nonstop. I'm going to do the best of everything. I'm going to get, I'm going to get A's and everything. I'm going to study everything. I'm going to crush everything. So it just wasn't a part of like, and then by the time you've made it long enough, it's like, okay, I'm good. Like, I don't need to. So same thing. My, like my, my dad would say, like, if you want to like, just carry a cup around so that people don't, I'm like, I really don't care. Like, I'm super outgoing. I'm not having trouble making friends. I'm not shy. I don't need it to, like, fit in. So the the fact is, when I started drinking junior year, I think I was just out at a bar, and I was just like, hmm, seems like, I'll you know, I'll have a little bit of this. And I think I had probably been a little tipsy before Then based on the fruit in the jungle juice. Like, I would go to a <laughs> yes. frat party. I'd be, like, really hungry and just eat the fruit out of the jungle juice in a cup. <laughs> but it was pretty well-soaked in alcohol by then. So, like, the first <laughs> intentional time. That I got drunk. Um, I just think I just kind of looked around and I was like, "All right." And what's funny is like I called my parents the next day. I was like, "Hey, I got drunk last night." They were like, "How was it?" I was like, "Pretty good." It was fine. And then um, and then I I like people started noticing because they had no idea. Like like I said, it wasn't like I would walk around and tell people like I don't drink. Like people just didn't notice because I'm enough of a you know jackass without needing it. And so when I started drinking, people some of my friends would mess with me like, Oh, let's all take shots and be like, okay. And then they'd pour me like a warm triple of like, of like gin oh. and then pretend like everyone's taking it. And then I would take it. They'd be like, no one shoots gin. I'm like, I haven't been paying attention. Don't <laughs> trick me. That's mean. I haven't been watching what you guys are doing. Um, so yeah, my dad likes a joke that I've made up for a lot of time, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think also like there, like as a total perfectionist, there was a okay, how am I gonna handle division one sports plus an Ivy League curriculum, plus being away from home, plus like whatever. And the thing was I literally could get home from a frat party at two in the morning and finish homework. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't drunk. So I could come back and finish the stuff and wake up and go to practice and not worry about being hung over. Like I just so by the time, you know, junior and senior year, I, I think I, I had figured out my rhythms enough to do it and still all the things done that I wanted to, and if I'd started freshman year, I don't know if it would have been as easy to like balance all that stuff.
0: Well, that's a, I found my rhythm now after quite a bit of <laughs> drinking, but I'm yeah. almost fifty now, and I've realized, man, that next morning I'm, I'm just too old. Like <laughs> it's hard for me to well, rebound that's now. The thing.
1: That's the thing that I think about. I'm like, man, was my body efficient? I actually had a, <laughs> one of my teammates in, in at Cornell in track wrote a paper. And a, and a research study on like the ability of an athlete's body to process and bounce back from that stuff. And I look at it now and I'm like, Oh my God, like and we were, we were like broke. So we would just line up like five shots of vodka before we left. So that once we got there, we could like spend less on the drinks at the bar. And I'm like, God, if I just started my day with five shots of (laughs) vodka, like it wouldn't be good. And the next day and the day after that, like hangovers are two days long now.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's incredible. I'm telling you the damage we've done to our bodies is just insane. That's Mm -hmm. for sure. Now leaving Cornell, and I know I've, uh, you know, obviously heard your uh, story a little bit, and I'm a Huge fan of your podcast. Uh, that's what oh, she thanks. said. And obviously listened to Spain and Fitz. And hopefully I'm getting Jason on the podcast as well. Nice. Yeah. So awesome. I had him lined up, but um, d- just hectic things and, you know, all yeah. of that happened. But definitely want to get him on there. But just from the perspective of how you didn't necessarily, w- you know, have any aspirations of being in radio and it just yeah. kind of happened. And, you know, hearing that also, you know, you wanted to go to Dartmouth, but you didn't get in. And Cornell is the place you go and just the experience that you had at Cornell and what it all meant. Have you thought about that based on where you are now, that that was your pathway? It was almost meant to be that even though it's not necessarily what you wanted, just look what it's done and, you know, fulfilling, you know, what you want to do with your career, so to speak.
1: I think that, that's the best way to look at it. Occasionally, instead, my, my mind will wander off the other way, which is what if I had just stuck with my original plan, which was, you know, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. I want to do comedy. Would I be doing that? But would I be as happy as someone who's like kind of a little bit more risk averse if every single gig was like hustling for the next one, right? Like now, if I was a uh, you know superstar with millions of dollars where I could be like, I'm gonna take this year off. That would be nice. Um, but there is something about like, I do get to work in entertainment and be creative and be, and write and, and be analytical and, and, and argue about issues I care about. But I also am on a contract and it's pretty regular work. It's not the same as trying to get a comedy special or like get a show or something like that. So... There's parts of me, especially I did the whole second city conservatory. And I think the thing I miss the most about when I was trying to do straight comedy and entertainment is just being in a room with a bunch of improv people and creating and having that feeling of just like really smart people bouncing off each other, which is why I love doing like the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gatz. That radio show is so much about just like, yes, anding whatever the rest of the group is doing and keeping the ball near. But yeah, I mean, I think in the end, this job that I have scratches a lot of itches that I that I had. And so even though it was not intended at all, and it's funny, too, because like one of my first jobs out of college, I worked at a sports production company, but like no part of me was like, oh, I should do this. It was just like (laughs) this is a job that somebody hooked me up with before I moved to L.A. and I'm going to work here until I move to L.A. where I'm going to go be a comedian and an actress, you know, and then the very first audition that I did in L.A., the first one for anything was off of Craigslist for an Espies commercial for ESPN where I talked about how much I love Michael Jordan for two minutes and I got the part and then I got cut out of it on the cutting room floor and I didn't make the final cut but the fact that I moved to LA and the very first thing that I get is basically doing what I do now yes (laughs) and I get the part and then like later on another role I got was like basketball player and then like tall girl (laughs) from Chicago and I was like maybe I'm not good at acting. I'm just good (laughs) at being myself. And maybe that's what I should do for a living. Um, But it's funny, like the little signs that you're like, oh, okay. So like this kind of makes sense. (laughs) This is what I ended up doing.
0: Exactly. How how do you prepare for around the horn? Because that just seems so difficult.
1: Well, the nice thing is we're not, we 're not flying by the seat of our pants where Tony could take anything from the sports world and throw it at us, like we know the topics because we have a call in the morning, so the normal day would be, and I did it today, so um, you have a call at like nine thirty my time, and for forty five minutes to an hour, we go through the biggest topics of the day and they kind of get a feel for what people are hot on or what people have something to say about. so we kind of go through all the topics and figure out where the meat is and then you've got some time to go through and find the statistics. They usually have a doc with a couple of different stories, or you could reach out to like Caroline who does the stat stuff and say, Hey, can you let me know how many times, you know, the Heisman trophy winner has not been a quarterback and the quarterback on that team has also been nominated or how many times, you know, like that kind of thing um, to bring in. And then you go in, you get do hair and makeup, whatever, and you sit down and you tape. And the thing about around the horn is it's not live, but it might as well be because they don't take breaks during a block. So if you make a mistake, they might start over for you. But, like, nobody wants to be the person that starts over. So, like, someone says something hilarious or really funny, and then you have to start over. And it's, it's the chemistry there, and it's organic. So, like, and, and so sometimes it just means you get muted and Tony makes fun of you for the wrong stat. And sometimes if it's really bad, like, t- today, Woody ended up winning and Ramona had made a play on, on this guy getting called off the practice squad by calling me up to help her with her showdown answer. And so technically Woody, um, you know, we both were up there when he won and he starts off by saying, wow, I've never beaten two women at the same time on a show. And we were like, Oh, that's it. Everybody shut it down. Start over. Like, and of course he didn't mean to say that, but we we're like, yeah, you can't say that on TV. Like it's not, you can't say you beat a woman on TV. It's just not going to come <laughs> no. out right. And so like every once in a while, and more often than not, it's Woody, uh, where something comes out wrong and you're like, yeah, we got to start over. But most of the time you you go straight through. And so you got to have your stuff ready, your argument quick and honed. You have to have your stat ready. If yes. You go too long. That's it. You, Tony moves on and you're like, but wait, I didn't get the stat in about that. So um, yeah, it's it's a totally different kind of, show than like radio which
0: is a lot more spread out and has a lot more time for sure what do you enjoy more storytelling kind of creating or the opinionated debating you know a certain side what do you enjoy more
1: they're different and that's not a cop-out it's really true like radio you can create a whole community and you've got time to, to like engage and tell funny stories and draw in Maybe like some things that aren't straight sports and have funny conversations with your co-hosts. And it's extemporaneous. So most of the work that you're doing is immediate and it's heard by the people listening, right? So there is pre-show prep and there is the the game watching and and the knowing of the facts. But most of the content is that two hours that you're on the air. Whereas like writing, you could spend three months on a story and then people read it. So the majority of the work is done silently and independently and alone before you put out that final product. But when you put it out, it's exactly how you wanted it to be. It's perfectly edited. It's the exact words you wanted to choose. It's everything you wanted to say. So like on radio, sometimes you don't spit it out the way you want, but most of the time you're working, you get that engagement with people who are listening. And then TV is somewhere in the middle, right? There's a bit of hurry up and wait and hair and makeup and staging, but at the same time, I love the visual of being able to incorporate, you know, facial expressions or, you know, the whatever at people. So I, I like them all for different reasons. And I don't know that I would want to do just the one all the time. I certainly wouldn't want to write all the time. It's very lonely yeah, it has and, to your, be. Your, and your butt hurts and <laughs> you're staring at the screen and you're like, why I can't think of what I want to say. But then radio like is, is lonely too. I sit in my little radio closet and my co-host is many states away. So, like, there's a balance of the actual getting to, like, interact with people and, and play off each other.
0: Well, I don't even know how you decided to, like, be an English major. I mean, English language <laughs> is hard as hell. <laughs> just... Not as
1: hard as math. You put numbers up in there, and they're, like, fighting each other, and they like, the gears stop. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Put some words in there. They're like, ooh. How
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. math. Oh, man. Well, as we're wrapping up here, Sarah, just if you can, how would you – just describe what sports has meant to you and the impact it has had in your life?
1: Well, I mean, MJ is literally the reason that I do this job. Like if I hadn't been obsessed with him the way that I was, I don't know that it would have even occurred to me later to combine that my, my interest in writing and entertainment and whatever with my background in sports. Cause as you know, being an athlete is quite different from from watching and writing about them. And I didn't have that same obsession with the other teams until much later in life. I mean, if I look back at young me, the 12-year-old, six-foot-tall, frizzy hair, braces, like awkward, being an athlete was such a huge part of my identity and my confidence. And my, I mean, one of the things we talk a lot about at ESPNW, especially when we go, we do these campus conversations We'll go and a handful of alumni and usually one ESPNW person will go to a school and talk to all the female athletes there from every year, uh, freshman through senior. And we'll tell them, you have no idea right now how many skills you have that other people don't, that you take for granted because you've been an athlete your whole life. Leadership, teamwork, working with people that you don't get along with and you need to, adversity, losing and continuing to do something, even if it's hard. Like there's so many skill sets that like, if you never were an athlete, you 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 just might not have it. I, there's tons of people that like they face a, a, a barrier and they're like, okay, I'm done then. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not how it works. And and like, there's an incredible stat that Ernst and Young found. It was like 94% of women in the C-suite were athletes. So 94% of every woman that is in a high level CEO, CFO, CMO job at the biggest companies was an athlete at one point. So there's that confidence, that leadership, that drive, that teamwork, all that stuff. And uh, I truly don't know who I would be if I hadn't been an athlete, in part because I was a slow, you know, like I was kind of a tomboy. The boys weren't interested in me when I was four inches taller than them and (laughs) running faster than them and eating a whole pizza by myself at like 12 and like burning calories while walking. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a lot. I got a lot going on. And so it takes a while for men to want an equal and a partner instead of a cute little, you know, uh, trophy. And so. If I hadn't had the incredible confidence I got from sports and um, my my other passions, music and and education and stuff, I just, I think I would have been uncomfortable in my body too. It's hard to go through life and be in, in other people's spaces as a woman who's super tall until you are confident in who you are, especially when you're younger. It's uncomfortable sometimes to stand out. But I've always been able to know, okay, well, I'm standing out at this dance but on the court or on the track, like this body is what lets me be great. And if you didn't have that offsetting and you just were like, I wish I was a cute little blonde girl, right? Like that would be <laughs> tough. So um, yeah, I mean, I can't.
0: But did you have to think about that and in those moments remind yeah. yourself of that each time? Like, yes, I might be awkward out here, but out yeah. on that yeah, athletic I mean, field, is, I'm i not You
1: know, you can't, you can't find jeans that fit you right? You can't find clothes that fit you right, especially when it used to be much more stylish for there to be this like big, like boot cut bottom. And it would like start at my calf instead of my ankle. <laughs> like, or like, you know, we had like a rule in my private junior high of like your, your shorts couldn't be more than four inches above your knees. So I'm like buying culottes and looking like a nerd because my legs are so long. Like, so like you just, you just want to fit in when you're younger and when you're older, you're okay. And the reasons that you're different are awesome. But when you're younger, you just want to fit in. So if I wasn't, Kicking ass at all the sports I played, it would have been uncomfortable to be in my in my body and be who I was, but it was it made me someone everybody knew, and it I got to be in the paper all the time, like that kind of stuff. Um, but I will say that like John Amici, former NBA player, magnificent speaker in person, talks a lot about sports. Sometimes get sort of created as this perfect thing that's always positive and always uplifting and always inspiring. And there's a lot of dangerous ways that sports enable and and corrupt. And so, um, the more I'm in the business, I try not to be too flowery about it because it's not always perfect, but I think if it's done the right way and if it's pursued in a way that's like pure and for the good stuff, it's tough to beat. It really is. It's tough to beat like the lessons that you learn and the people that you can meet and all the other stuff.
0: Yeah. And I I just think obviously, you know, what you're talking about, just the connections regardless if, Mm -hmm. you know, they were made. In little league, junior high, you know, even in college, just playing intramurals, I, you know, just, I mean, you just have that connection and uh, it's amazing what sports can do. And then obviously as fans, you know, just having a connection. I'm a, I'm a Clemson grad. And so just even, you know, seeing the success of the football program, it, I mean, it's yeah, crazy how it changes people's moods and just their health totally. at times. It, it's, it's amazing, you know, from that perspective. So then one last question, though. You've got the choice. It's either mm-hmm. Last Dance, watching Michael Jordan, documentaries, whatever, Schitt's Creek or The Office, which one you choose. <laughs> oh, <that's
1: laughs>
0: you get to binge watch one of them.
1: <laughs> that's mean. Um, forever or just right now?
0: Just right now. <laughs> okay.
1: Right now, I would probably, because I'm about to do this again anyway, start at the beginning and watch Schitt's Creek all over again. Because The Office, I've seen a number of them more than once, but Schitt's Creek, just this during pandemic is when i started and finished the whole thing and i'm just obsessed and now i want to go back and watch it all over again
0: my wife has already started back watching shit yeah Street.
1: yeah because like then by the end you're like okay i need more i need more <laughs> so i'm gonna go but um yeah the last dance is gonna be like whenever i need to pick me up i'm gonna i'm gonna go find that J montage and <laughs> get me pumped
0: i love it well sarah thank you so much i greatly appreciate it
1: thanks for having me It was fun
0: It's evident that Sarah is 100% comfortable with who she is, and as she mentioned, sports played a crucial role in helping her understand that, and even finding a place to fit in. But as much as we can hold up sports for all its positive attributes, we do have to be careful because, as we already know, how sports can be a reflection of life at times. And so just like life, Sports isn't always perfect either. Now that finishes episode 150, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone.
1: You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.